Welcome to the Daniel Burke Show. I want to create a hundred episodes of podcast. The longest Snapchat I've ever felt. One a day. Coming on. No real purpose. Coming on. No real topics to cover. Coming on. Just me talking. Coming on. Coming on. Three, two, one. Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to day 48 of the Daniel Burke Show. What do we have installed today? Well, you know what day it is. It's Monday, the 20th of March, 2017. And Mondays have a tradition of being Machine Learning Monday. So today is Machine Learning Monday number five. If you haven't heard of Machine Learning Monday, check it out. Days 41, 34, 20, and 13 have the previous four parts because today is day five. So we won't be covering most of what was in the first four days. So forgive me if there's some terms in this episode that you're not familiar with, but you can catch yourself up in the in the past few days if you want to check them out. Otherwise, I'll try and make this one as understandable as I possibly can for those who don't know much about machine learning. But let me just give you a quick overview of, an overview of what machine learning actually is. So machine learning is essentially teaching a machine to do a human task. That's in the simplest terms. Now, how do you do this? You, The main method at the moment is by giving a computer program a whole bunch of data. And what are data? Well, just say numbers or a whole bunch of statistics and things like that. And then the program will work out patterns within those statistics and numbers. And then using that information, you can solve a whole bunch of problems, work out new things. Uh, it's used in technologies such as Google Translate, which is what we'll be talking about today. And it's also used in things such as facial recognition on Facebook and self-driving cars and Siri on the iPhone and a whole bunch of other things. It literally, anything in the tech world these days that's not involving machine learning is is in the past because it's taking the tech world by storm. It's a new big thing. And so today, what we're going to talk about is the technology behind Google Translate. So essentially, it's called Machine Translate. And as you could all imagine, if you've used it before, it's Google Translate's changed the world. And it's allowed people who previously couldn't communicate to communicate with each other. I've used it. I used it in Japan when I was there. I used it when I was working at Apple, helping, helping people who didn't speak English converse with me and I help I help give them support and whatnot. And so where where did I get all this information from? This is all part of a, a seven part series written by what's his name? Adam Gay Gaitge. I'm gonna I'm I'm pronouncing that wrong, but it's G E I T G E Y. Uh, and he's written written a whole a whole series called Machine Learning is Fun on Medium. You go to medium.com and search Machine Learning is Fun. This is part five of that series. So ch- make sure you check that out. All the, th- all the stuff I'll be talking about is directly from that article. And that's the same with the previous four. They're all from part one, two, three, and four. And now today is five from Machine Learning is Fun series on, on medium.com. So Google Translate changed the world. Now, what's how how has this technology evolved? Because today it's a lot faster than what it what it used to be in the past, and even in the last 
recently in the last few months, it's had a massive upgrade. If you if you look at any articles online, if you search Google Translate upgrade, you'll see that Google recently released some of its newest features onto Google Translate to make it a lot more efficient, a lot more smarter and whatnot. So we'll be going through a few a few methods, old and new, today. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. So over the past two years, so extremely recently, deep learning has totally changed the approach to machine translation. And again, machine translation is the the engine behind Google Translate. So deep learning research who know almost nothing about language translation are throwing together relatively simple machine learning solutions that are better than the best expert-built language translation systems in the world. So what does this mean? So it means that people who don't know the rules in terms of how one language gets converted into another are building algorithms to just learn these rules on them on their own and translate to two lines of two sections of text so if you say hello my name is daniel in in english uh you could say konnichiwa namaya wa dan in japanese and there's there's some rules in there Right, so there's some rules of how they're translated, and I know the rules like a little bit because I've learned Japanese. But what what these researchers have done is create created algorithms that can take in the piece of text, the English text, and look at compare it to a whole bunch of Japanese text, learn what the rules are itself, and then in the future you can just enter a piece of English text, and it will using what it's learned between the translation, spit out what, what the Japanese version of the text was, which is absolutely incredible. And so this technology is called sequence-to-sequence learning. So as in, obviously, a sequence of, let's say, English characters to a sequence of Spanish or another language characters. And it can be within any two languages. And at the end, we'll talk about the other applications of sequence-to-sequence learning. So... How can you possibly program a computer to translate language? It's it's so complex. If you've ever tried to learn another language, it's there's so many rules involved and there's different grammar and different not to mention alphabets and pronunciation. It's it's hard. So what's the what's the usual way that, that you would go about translating a sentence? So you could Replace every word in a sentence with a, with a translated word in the target language. So, what does this look like? Let's let's use Spanish as an example. That gets used in the in the medium article. So, if I said I want to go to the prettiest beach in English, what does that look like in Spanish? Biquero y alea playa más bonita. And I'll probably stuff that up as well. My Spanish is not great, but in Spanish you directly translate that. That can be I want to go to the beach more pretty. Not not so much sense in English, but still you sort of get the picture. Now, of course, to to fix this, you could apply language-specific rules. So, of course, English doesn't directly translate to Spanish, but much like how English has a basic set of rules, so does Spanish. So, eventually, you could teach a program enough rules so that it could translate any kind of sentence between Spanish and English because it knows all the rules. So you can you could program each individual rule into the into the algorithm and then it would know really well how to translate between English and Spanish. But then it knows all the rules between those two languages 
you'd have to do the same for every other language, and that's that's a that's a heavy and demanding process. And early systems worked like this. Linguists, 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 yeah, linguists, linguists came up with complicated rules, and then these rules were programmed one by one for each each different sort of language. So, what's the problem here? Of course, you could do that. That's a laborious task. You know, even they got it done. They they did this. They did this process. It was this is how it's been working for the past decade or so. But there's a problem. Human language doesn't always follow these sort of strict rules. Like when I'm talking to someone, when I'm talking right now, when I'm writing an essay, sure, there's there's rules that I should be applying, and I'm applying a lot of the basic ones. But I break the rules fairly often. Like when I just jump out of character and start saying random things and back and forth and yada yada, say things like that. Anyway, what's a different approach? What can they use? So the next approach people started to use was statistics and probability to translate rather than using a set of grammatic rules. And what what does this mean? So building building a translating program is very data intensive. So it's statistics-based data data transfer sorry a statistics based translation program is extremely data intensive now why is that well it requires an extremely large amount of text that's already translated into at least two languages now let's think about this what's an extremely large what's an example of an extremely large piece of text let's say a whole book in english and a whole book in spanish are the same book now maybe this isn't enough maybe you need 100 books Right, so that's that's a lot of writing, a lot of words, and a lot of data. Now, there's a plenty plenty of examples out there. For example, guidelines that are written in different languages, European news, European government articles. Because why? The Europe European like it's there's 21 different languages there, so they're all published in that language. So that's that's a good resource for using a statistics based approach because there's so much text of multiple different kinds of languages. Now, as we've talked about in the past, machine learning loves data. So what can we do with this this large amount of data? Well, here's how you can do it. Step one, break up the sentence into chunks that can be easily translated, right? So you've got a sentence, hello, my name is Daniel. You break it up, hello, my name is Daniel. Well, not even Daniel, because Daniel may be trans... Anyway, so just break it up. Break the sentence up, and word by word, or little groups of words, or whatever. Step two, find all possible translations for each chunk. So this is why you need a whole bunch of data, is because you need to find all the translations that that, that could possibly go into. Now, what does it look like? So how have people, how have actual people translated these same words into real world sentences? So as I said, if I say, hello, my name is Daniel. What's that in, in Mandarin? Wajal Daniel. Um, in Japanese, Watashi wa namaya, Watashi no namaya wa Daniel. So find all information like that. A whole bunch of background information. And so, what, what, what does this look like next? So, in some languages, you'll have a, a sentence, let's say Spanish again. Let's use the Spanish example. 
Where do we got here? So let's use the, the, the example we used before. So the quiero ir, ir a la playa más bonita, right? So for English, that may be I want to go to the prettiest beach. But for the possible combinations of translations that that could be in English, like quiero can be I want, I love, I like, I mean, I try. Ir can be to go, to work, to run, to appear, to work, to be on. So it ends up, a lot of the words can mean multiple different things in English. And this goes for a number of different languages. And why, why am I using English as the base here? Well, because English is, is what's used as the base in a lot of machine learning programs. It's, it's a world language of business. And so just that one sentence, the quiero ir a la playa más bonita, can be translated into 2,500 different English phrases. So that's that's step two. So step one, break it up into different chunks that can be easily translated. Step two, find all possible translations for each chunk. So that's, that's 2,500. So that's why it's so data intensive. And then step three is find the most likely one out of that 2500 possible combinations that the that it's likely to be and this is where statistics come into play and probability so where did we get these statistics and probability from the enormous amounts of data that we've had to had to get our machine neural networks and a neural network is just a combination of algorithms and algorithm is just essentially a maths equation to find what are the most statistically common combinations of words? And what, what is it likely to be? So if I have a sentence, as before, the Spanish example, what is it most likely to be in English? Right? So based off all the statistics and probability that you have of all the other texts, what's it most likely to be? Because it could be, I love to work at the seaside most pretty. That's It's unlikely to be that, right? It's most likely to be something like, I want to go to the prettiest beach. And that's that's where the, the statistics come into play. So these statistics-based translation methods perform much better than the rule-based systems if they have enough data. And Google Translate has been using this form of tr tr translation since the early 2000s. So what's, what's the steps again? Break it up into small chunks that can be easily translated. Find all possible translations for each of those chunks. And then generate all... Step three, generate all possible sentences and find which one is most statistically likely based off bucket loads of data. So this is why you need a powerful computer to run this sort of test. And uh, as we'll get to later, you'll find out what the more uh, efficient and effective approach is. So yeah, that's what we... Yeah, this method has its limitations. Every Every new pair of languages you want to translate requires experts to tune a new translation pipeline. So that's where if you want to go from English to Spanish, that's okay. But then if you want to go to another language, you have to do the same process again and get a whole bunch of statistical data on other languages. And so for rare language translations, such as like Japanese to Georgian, you would have to translate one of their languages into English first and then use your algorithm to transfer the English language into your target language because this is there's a lack of, of data between texts from Japanese and Georgian languages.
But with languages such as English and French, you've got plenty of options there. So like there's plenty of articles that are written in English and French and, and plenty of texts that are really written in English and French. So a statistical-based approach worked well because of all of the data that's available for these two common languages. So how can we skip all of these tra like training steps? So that's, that's a lot of steps to, to be going through 2,500 different combinations of, of one sentence every time you want to translate something. How can, how can you skip these steps? How can we get more efficient? So this is where it comes in, the golden goose of machine learning. And what is that? It's, it's a system that would learn how to translate two languages all on its own. So if I had a whole bunch of, let's say, let's just say, for example, a book written in English and a book written in Japanese. And we know that they're saying the same thing, um, but they're still written in two different languages, right? So... The golden, the golden goose, the holy grail, is that a machine would be able to just look at these two sets of data, interpret the two languages, find out the rules between them, and give, a, give an accurate translation. Or be able to use that information from the two books and be able to use that in the future for future translations. Okay? So... Has this happened yet? Yes, it has. In 2014, Kyung Hin Cho and his team made a breakthrough. Now, I'm probably butchering his name, but he was I think he was head of the research team who, who built this system, this new system. And you can find his proper name in the Machine Learning is Fun Part 5 article on Medium. But they found a way to build this system. Their deep learning model takes a parallel corpora. So a parallel corpora is two sets, two pieces of text with the same meaning in different languages. So a Japanese book and an English book have the same meaning, they're just two different languages. And uses this data to learn how to translate between those two languages without any human intervention. Now that is a big step. That is incredible. Imagine having someone, a machine, just look at, look at two massive pieces of text and data and work out, okay, I see what the rules are here. I see what the grammar is. Let me, let me gather all this data and use it in the future if you want me to translate other text. That's, that's massive. And now how is this possible? Well, it's made possible by two main things. Recurrent neural networks, or RNNs, and encodings. Now, if you remember, a neural network is, if you imagine a brain neuron, one neuron on its own is not that effective, but... You combine a whole bunch of them and your brain, you suddenly have very high-level processes that the brain is capable of. Now, we've talked about this in previous episodes, and a neural network in terms of machine learning is one algorithm combined with another algorithm combined with another algorithm, and the combination of all of them makes for a smart uh Smart pattern recognition gives you a better answer and whatnot. It's capable of doing a lot of smart smart things. And a recurrent neural network is just that same thing, a, neural, a normal neural network, a combination of algorithms that uses the outputs that it does. So to get an answer, to, to take advantage of a, an algorithm, it's you put something in, an input, 
and then it goes into the neural network, some calculations are done, and then you get an output. So what was our example back in part two? Well, say you had a house and you had all this house data from hundreds of thousands of houses and you know the bathroom, square feet space and number of bedrooms. Bathrooms, square feet, number of bedrooms. If you put that three, that's that could be input into a machine learning algorithm and then the output could be the average house price that that house should be. Right? So that's, that's, that's a neural network. And a recurrent neural network is something that will use the the output of previous calculations like that to alter its answers for future calculations. So say uh, we've, we've put in three pieces of house data into our neural network. We've got the output at $500,000. It will use that, that output to and that calculations it's made to affect the future results. Right, so RNNs or recurrent neural networks are great for learning patterns in data. And what's what's human language? Essentially, it's just one big complicated pattern, right? So the sounds I'm speaking out to you, I'm putting them together in some way that I'm doing subconsciously and you're listening to them and you're decoding the pattern within your brain. It's going hitting your... Uh, I've forgotten the word, the audio nerve, let's just say that, forgotten its proper name, and or hitting your eardrum or something like that, going into your brain, and you're decoding the sound waves to be language, and that's the voice in your head right now if you're listening with headphones or wherever you're listening. And so, we've got one large complicated pattern, we use recurrent neural networks for decoding that, and what are encodings? Well... Like we spoke about in part four, in facial recognition, encodings are essentially a machine turning a face into a set of 128 different measurements or numbers. And now what are these measurements measuring? We don't actually know. But let's just think of it as if I had a picture of a face and I put it into my uh, encoding or my recurrent neural network, it will it will output a set of 128 different numbers. And how can I use these numbers? Well, I can compare them to calculations I've made on faces before. So just like on Facebook, when I upload a photo, it's automatically tagged because the algorithms Facebook use compare those 128 different measurements of your face to previous photos, right? And we talked about this more in part four, so you can listen to day 41 if you want to hear about that process more. So these, these the, the, the transfer of raw data into a set of 128 numbers can be done with sentences as well. So sentences can be encoded into a set of 128 numbers just like faces can. And there's some really complicated images on, on the Medium article, so I encourage you to check them out if you want to see, see what it looks like when a sentence gets converted into numbers. It's not just literally swapping out one letter for a number. It's We're talking 128 12-plus-digit numbers. It's, it's a complicated process, but that's for another time. I'm skipping over a lot of the complex details here, as you could imagine. So, how is it all put together? Uh, so there would be an input, such as the combination of words, machine learning is fun. This would go through a recurrent neural network, 
or encoder. The encoded sequence, aka the set of 128 numbers, would then go through another recurral neural network or a decoder, right? So a decoder, aka um, a recurrent neural network, say for a Spanish language, would decode the encoded English version. So what's happening? So we've got, the, let's say, English output, that English, sorry, the English input that gets converted to 128 different numbers. Then we have a Spanish converter, so a Spanish calculator, like, a, well, not a calculator, but like a, a recurrent neural network, an RNN, and that will decode it into a Spanish sentence based on the rules that the machine has determined the language should be translated from or for, through, or I can't think of the right verb. And so this way of doing things is only new, like really new. Having an input, having an encoder, aka recurrent neural network, changing a sentence into 128 different numbers, then having a decoder, then having your output, right? So that this way of doing things is really new. So it's, it's 2014 and up. But this is, this is the future of of translate at the moment. It can these these algorithms invented by Kyung Kyung Hin Cho and his team uh, are the way Google Translate works now. It's and obviously I've made this a lot simpler than the actual process, and it's probably still sounding complicated because. My, my way of explaining things could be turned up a notch, let's just put it that way. But this upgrade has only happened over the past few months. You can, you can look it up on, on the internet and it's, it's the holy grail of the translation. It can look at two pieces of data, one in English and one in Spanish and work out the rules for itself and use those rules in the future for to allow me to enter text into the Google Translate app and have it converted into Spanish based off all of this information it's it's dug up on its own. Now that is that is incredible. That's and it, it does it almost instantaneously. If you've ever used the Google Translate app, it's you type you start typing and it starts translating straight away. It knows it knows the rules. It's it's figured it out themselves itself. The machine has done all of this. And now the beautiful thing about this is that it's a one shoe fits all. So if I had a set of Chinese and let's say, uh, what's another language, French, right? It can work out the rules between those two sets of texts and then translate, use those rules in the future that it's worked out on its own for more translations of Chinese to French rather than someone having to program the individual rules that converts French grammar into Chinese grammar and et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's mind-blowing, that it can just do it for, for any language. Of course, maybe there's some human intervention, but as from what I can see, it's, they've invented the, the holy grail, the, the black box, the golden goose, whatever you want to call it. The algorithm works out the rules itself. This, this essentially means that linguistic translators aren't required. The machine does all the, all the grunt work for you. Now, what is this process limited by? 
Well, it's limited by the amount of training data that you have and the amount of computing power that you can throw at it. Now, of course, Google have a whole bunch of computing power and a whole bunch of data. So that's why their Translate app is the best because it has they have all this data and they have all this computing power and they can just combine the two, combine the RNNs, combine the encoders, combine the decoders, and then that's where we, the general public, get to benefit from the effects of Google Translate. And now, the fun thing about this sequence-to-sequence is what they're calling it, translation system, is that it can be used for many other things, such as AI chatbots, so just what's an example of that? Well, Google's support team captured all the data from their chat sessions with uh, customers, and so... They used all this data, put it through the sequence-to-sequence method, like in algorithms. It may be a bit different to the the language one, or actually, no, it's the same. It's sequence-to-sequence. And this this black box, this holy grail of language translation, has managed to create an AI support bot that can, based off the millions of support cases that Google have had in the past, can offer insight into how to fix your issue completely on its own, just working out patterns that have occurred in the few, in the past. And that that's mind-blowing. That means essentially maybe in the few, you don't need support. It's just it you talk to this chatbot and it fixes it for you based on what's happened in the past. And this can also be used for recognizing what's happening in an image. So say there's a whole bunch of kids playing soccer. You can use that in if you have enough data, you can use the sequence-to-sequence method to to take in an image, encode it into 100, 128 different numbers, and then decode it into a bunch of text that is essentially ta- describing what's in the image. And it can be related to a whole bunch of other things, such as uh, describing an image in detail, like we just said, improving image search engines to return oddly specific queries. So right now you can search like giraffe, but can I search giraffe with someone writing it? Maybe I can. Let's just let's maybe that's not a good example. But the the article uses uh, specific queries such as a person eating a slice of pizza while driving. Now, I haven't used Google Images in a while, but essentially this sequence to sequence learning can be used for instances like that. And yeah, so that's how that's how we get there. That's how Google Translate works and. Obviously, the details have been skipped out a lot, but it's a combination of RNNs, a whole bunch of data, a whole bunch of computing power, and a whole bunch of encoding. And so essentially now, they have they have this algorithm that can just look at two big piles of English and Spanish text, work out the rules on its own, and use that data that in pattern recognition that it finds to, to help you with your Spanish homework and help me when I go to go to Mexico. So, pretty cool stuff. But... It's time for me to wrap it up. It's been day Machine Learning Monday, day five, day 48 of the podcast. And for more about this Machine Learning is Fun uh, series, make sure you check out uh, Medium. It's by Atom Gaiety, G-E-I-T-G-E-Y. And yeah, all credit goes to him. All the previous, previous episodes, so day 13, day 20, day 34, day 41, and today are all based off the Machine Learning is Fun series on on Medium. So I've learned a lot from it. I encourage you to check it out if you're interested in more.
But anyway, I hope you've learned something new. If you have, share it with someone you love. And I'll catch you tomorrow, day 49. Peace. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you want to help me out, you can give me some advice by contacting me directly. My email is daniel at mrdberg.com. My website is mrdberg.com. Or if you really want to help me out, you can leave a rating or review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. But once again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next episode.